Hello, and welcome to the second chapter. In this, my last episode of season nine, I'm speaking with Patricia Stolworth. I'm taking a little break, but I'll be back with season 10 on 28th of June. If you've enjoyed this season of the second chapter, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And I'd love to hear from you. You can message or email me at thesecondchapterpodcast.com. It's also nearly time for my 100th episode, so stay tuned. I plan to celebrate. The subject of money is one that many of us are uncomfortable discussing, which is why I loved having Patricia as a guest. After her own divorce, which led to some painful money realizations, Patricia now helps others, especially women, plan for their financial futures. Patricia made talking about financial planning fun, even for me. And let me tell you, that is really saying something. At the end of the episode, I'll have details on how to get a free download of Patricia's book, Become a Money-Wise Woman in Six Simple Steps, even if you're not good at math, so you can get started or become a bit wiser about money without having to spend it. Money, at the end of the day, is power. And you've got to stop giving away your power. When you let somebody else manage your money, even if it's your husband, you need to be a part of that process. You need to know what you have, where it is, and what the passwords are. And on top of that, you need to have your own stash of cash. You cannot rely on someone else to take care of everything for you. Hi, Patricia. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me. It looks like it's sunny there in California. It's sunny in London, if you can believe it. Actually, today, and I don't know what's happened. We've reversed. So the sun has left us. Come back. Please come back. So yeah, it's it's overcast. I expect it to be sunny later in the day, but it's pretty overcast right now. All right. I'm not feeling too sorry for you because I have a feeling that I get a lot more overcast than you probably do. I'm okay with that. (laughs) So one of the reasons I was really excited to get you in the second chapter is not only have you had your own second chapter story, but you have a lot of really good advice for those of us maybe who are in our second chapters or in general, I think we get a lot of listeners who can use some of your advice. But if you don't mind, I'd love to hear a little bit about your family and growing up, what your relationship with money was. Oh, well, I had one of those families where money was never talked about. It was argued about, but it was never talked about. That's familiar to me. (laughs) Yeah. My my parents split when I was pretty young. And my mother, she worked two jobs to support us. And so I never really... I never really thought of us as being poor, even though we really were. I didn't think of that as at the time. And I remember she would, she would get, she worked in a restaurant as well as one of her jobs. So she'd get a lot of tips. And so she'd have a lot of change. And I would sneak in when she was sleeping and I would take the change and go to the store, which was down the street and buy candy. So I had a bag full of candy all the time. And so she used to joke about it. That's not money for candy. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I would, it was like. That was my thing. I just needed to have some candy. I didn't eat that much, but I just had a lot of candy all the time. Yeah. That's interesting because you said you didn't feel like you were poor. And I think in a way, especially for people that are listening who aren't American, we all consider ourselves middle class, which in England means more wealthy. But in America, nobody likes to think there's not the same class system. So we all think, oh, we're all middle class. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't really... That was never something that even entered my mind in terms of that. Money was like a non, a non object in a sense. It's just to get candy. 
That was amazing. I do enjoy a little bit of a psychological delving because I wonder if maybe that hoarding of the candy was some sort of recognition that you didn't know, but was a little bit of nerves about money. Because I think sometimes as kids, we know a little bit more than we realize about our financial situation. I, th- I think in my case, though, it was more that I was an only child. Okay. And so I spent a lot of time alone. Oh. And so this was like a pacifier, if you will, to have this, to be able to look in the drawer and I've got all this candy kind of thing. Because my mother was gone a lot. Mm-hmm. She did. She had to work those two jobs. And so she was gone a lot. And I was there by myself a lot. And so that's how I pacified myself. So coming from a family that didn't really focus on money as a thing, how did you end up in your first career? In my first career, it was, that's a whole, that's a whole other story all, <laughs> all unto itself. I, you never know, you don't know what you don't know. And I was at that age when I, I didn't know much about anything, but I read this article in the Wall Street Journal and it was about the big five accounting firms and being a management consultant. And I thought to myself, <laughs> wouldn't it be cool to be a management consultant? First of all, hold on. I have to stop you for one second because you were reading the Wall Street Journal. Yes, that's notable. I was like, when I was reading Teat Beat, I thought it'd be really cool to be. (laughs) Really, the reason that I got to the Wall Street Journal is I had gotten an internship at a newspaper. And so I got to read all the newspapers. I was a research intern, so I had to read everything. So I was reading the Wall Street Journal. And trying to decide what do you do with your life when you grow up kind of thing. Exactly. And I, read that, and I read that article and it said it was so great about the management consulting. So I decided that I wanted to be a management consultant. And so the thing about being a management consultant is, number one, you had to have a master's degree, which I didn't have. And you had to do a couple of other things. And so I tried to figure out how I'm going to get a master's degree. I don't know how to do that. I don't have any money. Basically broke at that point. And so, no, financially challenged. That's what you need to say. You're financially challenged. And so I got a scholarship to get my master's degree. And I got my master's degree. And then when I said, you don't know what you don't know, I sat down after I got my degree and I pinned five letters, one to each of the big five accounting firms. And so I sit, I, I went through number one, two, three. They said, thank you, but no thank you kind of thing. And number four gave me an interview and that really didn't work out too well, but I still wasn't worried. I still had one more to go. And so the fifth one called and I got an interview and that interview lasted the whole day. And so when I left there, they said, I got to interview with everybody, even the top guy that was there. And they said, we're going to, we're going to all meet and think about it kind of thing. And one day the phone rang and I answered the phone and I said, is the bat lady singing? And he said, yes, the bat lady's singing. It was like, how could you answer the phone like that? I "I don't know. I just did. (laughs) And I got the job and that was my, that was my big hit being a management consultant and one of the big five accounting firms. (laughs) That's interesting, though, because you said you don't know what you don't know. And that confidence that we have when we're a bit younger, it does tend to get worn away. Oh, eventually, hopefully come back to it. But I do feel like it took a lot of knocks for me to understand that, like, maybe I had a slightly inflated sense of confidence. And obviously, it was worth it for you because you ended up getting one of the jobs. Yes. Yeah. 
And it's, as I look back on it, it's like, what? Yeah, it's, <laughs> to this day, I still go, but it worked. And I wish I still had that same level of confidence because it's been, it's been a different stroke after that. But that was my big, that was my big thing. And I loved it. Yeah. I feel like so many of us, one of, I say so many of us because I relate, but one of the things that led to a big second chapter moment was your divorce. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's skipping ahead a lot, but I think it really led to where you are today. And I know that through the process of the divorce, you discovered that your husband had lost a lot of money. Yes. I was working at the Big Five at Chowney Throne. And I was telling other people what to do and having a great time with that. But the one thing that I didn't do is I didn't really manage my money. And I thought he wanted to do that. And so it's okay. You can do that. Uh, I didn't even bother to ask where it was, how much we had, what was anything. I didn't ask. I just turned over each month. I just put something in the account. And that was all that I did. That was my whole thing. And fast forward, I'm sitting at a conference table a large conference table mm. with my attorney and him and his attorney. And that day we were dividing assets and we did just regular stuff, furniture, all that kind of stuff. And then we got to investments. And when we got to investments, there was just one small page. It just had just a little bit of writing on the page. And, and I started asking questions. Is there more? Is there something missing? Because as I'm looking at the bottom line there, it's smaller than what I personally put in. Mm. And so I'm really getting very nervous. One of the things that, I'm going to back up just a little bit. One of the things that happened is that being in my job, I traveled a lot. And so I know I put a burden on the marriage by being gone so much and traveling so much. So I decided my husband got a job on the West Coast. We were living on the East Coast at the time. And he got a job on the West Coast. And I decided to leave my job. And I loved, mm-hmm. I decided to leave it to go to the West Coast with him to see if we could repair the marriage, reboot kind of thing. And so as I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, I have no job. Uh, I'm about to lose my husband. All my friends and family are back on the East Coast. And now I have no money. I couldn't breathe at that point. I literally could not breathe. It's what? Because that was like the shock of the century. I hadn't, I was, that was the only thing I was counting on being able to walk away with was half of the money. It was to be my half and I'm gone. Yeah. And, and that wasn't happening. And so I found myself sort of standing up in the middle of the meeting. I didn't even realize what I was doing. I was standing up. And so. I'm still asking all these questions about it. Is there something missing? I'm going through all this. And they decided maybe we should take a break. And we went out and I walked out and I didn't come back. It was like, this is not happening. This is not real. This is not true. And it took me a couple of days to, to finally decide what I was going to do because this was like, I hadn't, all my plans were just shattered. It's what are you going to do? Also, when I'm thinking about this, I'm picturing like the cost of a divorce lawyer. And how long did they sit there and wait for you to come back? <laughs> I might have been like, just leave the meeting because I'm not paying you for this extra time, but I'm having a meltdown. <laughs> that never even crossed my mind. I didn't of course not. 
nothing matters at this point. It's, it's nothing matters at this point. And so I'm trying to think about this. And so I finally decided, <laughs> I kept hearing, follow the money, follow the money. It's like, you've got no money. It's like, what are you going to follow? And so I thought maybe that means I should go work at a bank. And it's, no, you don't make any money for being in a bank. So don't do that. So what are you going to do? And so then the idea of being a financial advisor popped in my head. And my reasoning was two things. Number one, I could go get another job. It's the company that I work for. They have offices all over the world. Mm-hmm. So I could, get, I could get another job. But if I didn't learn how to manage my money, I could find myself in the same position a year, five years, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, which would be disastrous in that position. I had to learn how to manage my money. And so the idea of being a financial advisor seemed like a good idea because number one, no one was, no company is going to let me manage somebody else's money without teaching me what to do. That was my reasoning. However, (laughs) plan number two strikes down. So I go, I find this company that's supposed to really train you how to be a financial advisor. And I get there and they say to me, I told them, I want to learn. I don't know anything. I want to learn. And so they said to me, don't you worry your pretty little head about that. You, oh, just bring in the, you just bring in the clients and we'll take care of them. And I thought, and I said to them, no, no, that's not going to happen. You don't understand why I'm here. I'm going to learn. And so one of the guys finally gave me, he said, if you really want to learn, you should become a CFP. Mm. I said, what the heck is a CFP? I don't even know what that is. And so he said, let me give you some of my books. You can take a look at them. And if you really want to learn, that's the way to go. And so I said, okay. So I started reading his books and I, I read and I read and I learned everything I could learn. I took all the tests and all the exams and all of that. And I became a CFP. And certified financial planner. Certified financial planner. Yeah. And let me actually ask because this, you're making this sound, I don't want to say you're making it sound easy because you're not, but. I also think we hear accountants, so you immediately think, oh, she's downplaying it. She knew about money. I get no. I, from talking to you, I get the impression you this was really something that you were like, yeah, I might have been working with money, but I was not into financial planning. Well, understand, I was a management consultant. Mm-hmm. I was on the business side, so I wasn't really working with the money. I was working with business clients, teaching them strategies and things to grow their business, to build profits, to do those kinds of things. But I didn't have any dealings with money at all. And even if I did, and this is going to be interesting, even if I did, I still might not know anything because I had clients, I've had clients who are accountants who don't know how to manage their money. Which is so shocking to think about, but it makes perfect sense because you can add and subtract and multiply and divide and You can say, here's how much money you have, or here's how you write this on your tax form or whatever that is. But that doesn't mean you know what to do with it. Now, I have people who work at banks or clients. So it doesn't really matter. And that was the whole idea is that everyone thought because I had this MBA, I should be a whiz at money. And it's no MBA, master's in business. And so I was really good at business, but I do nothing about money. So yeah, just getting the CFP was really good, but I went on to understand that there was even more that I wanted to learn at that point. I want more. So I found this woman who was, she was really very good at (laughs) finance. She did everything by hand. She was like one of the top readers in all of the, in all the large 
financial, so the, the industry organizations and associations and things like that. She was well-known across the board. And so I found out that she had not computerized her office. She was literally doing everything by hand. Mm. So I struck a bargain with her and I said, if you will teach me how to do everything by hand so that I understand what exactly what the software's doing, I'll computerize your office for you. And so she said, okay. And so I stayed with her for a year. I learned more than I ever wanted to know. <laughs> and she had a nice office that was running very smoothly. So it was. And when you left, is that when you ended up starting your own business? I started my own business. And why your own business versus go find a cushy job where they pay you lots of money with all these new skills you have? Because I knew enough in a sense to be dangerous in a, because I knew how things should go. And I also looked at how so many of the companies did things. And, it's, and because the financial industry is so regulated, compliance issues and things like that, if you work for another company, you have to follow their rules because of compliance kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to have to follow their rules because it wasn't as complicated as they wanted to make it sound to their clients. And it's not rocket science kind of thing. And so I wanted to be able to really teach people how to, especially women, to teach them how to manage their money in a way that was, number one, something that I wanted to teach, not just do. It wasn't the guys were still, when I left, the guys were still, don't worry, you're pretty little head about that. We'll take care of this. Just Mm -hmm. sign here. Those kinds of things. And it's like, no, that's not what I want. I want a business where I teach people how to actually manage it so that if I'm not there, they can still make a decision on their own and do some things when they leave me. And so in most cases, in a lot of cases, I would get myself out of a job because I would teach them what they needed to know and then they could go on and do what they wanted to do. This is asking you to generalize a little bit, but you have worked a lot, as you say, especially with women to make sure they aren't in the position that you ended up in with your divorce and everything where you just didn't know. But Why do you think it is, based on your own personal and your professional experience, that women are very otherwise savvy, intelligent women are so willing to not learn or refuse to talk about money or hand it over to their husbands or their partner? Why is it so difficult as women for us to really grasp money and talk about it and not be in the dark about it? That's a that's a lot of things. That was a long question. I think that the way we're raised, number one, so many women are raised with the idea of, you know, you don't have to worry about those kinds of things because really you're going to get married and you're going to have a family and your husband's going to take care of it. So you don't have to worry about that. So I think that's one part of it. The other part is that the financial industry is very good at throwing jargon at you so that it makes it sound like it's like you can't possibly do this on your own. And and so I wrote that book, Minding Your Money, because yes, you can do this on your own. But the, between the financial industry, between the way we're raised, and between the fact that, that men just seem to want to take this over, this is their domain, whether they know anything or not. And if you look at the studies, women are much better investors and things like that than men are, because they have the patience and they will do the work that it takes to really understand their investments and things like that that men won't. But there's got to be a shift because the wealth gap is so wide 
in the U.S., for example, that men may have for retirement. We're looking at them having 50, 60 cents on the dollar kind of thing. Women have 10, 15, 20 cents. So it's, it's so wide and women tend to live longer. They tend to have a lower, they don't make as much money. Women are more impoverished than men as they get older. There's so many reasons why we should, but for some reason, it's very hard. And I think that shell is starting to crack. I think women are starting to understand more. When I first started out in this business, they didn't understand. And I didn't understand. I came from that era where it's just money and we don't need to worry about it. But the world has changed dramatically. And so we do need to, if you want to get anywhere today, you do need to take care of your money. Bottom line. You mentioned minding your money, but you also have the money wise woman. And I think yeah. one of my favorite things is looking at your website and there's all these pictures of different people reading it. And mm-hmm. there are people of different races and ages. And there's a young girl in particular that's reading the book on your website. And I just <laughs> think it's a young black girl that I think <laughs> of all the differences that you're talking about in uh, like how much money we make, the the gap, if you will. To see a young Black girl reading that book and to know that as times have changed, like you said, times have changed, we need to know about our money, but that younger women are taking a bigger grasp of their money and especially people of color. That made me feel, I felt very optimistic for the future of women and finance and that we won't get into this position anymore. I hope so. I I see us going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. I see us taking a step forward and a step back. I hope we can get to take two steps forward and only one step back. But I don't know, society right now, and especially in the U.S., women are under attack from every side. And so I am, I worry about that. And one of the things that I try to talk to people about is that, you know what, money at the end of the day is power. And you've got to stop giving away your power. When you let somebody else manage your money, even if it's your husband, you need to be a part of that. You need to be a part of that process. You need to know what you have, where it is, and what the passwords are, all those kinds of things in case you need to get it. And on top of that, you need to have your own stash of cash. You cannot, you can no longer rely on someone else to take care of everything for you. You have to have your own pot someplace. And it is, that's an essential thing. I was talking to this one woman the other day and she said, when she got married, her husband told her, I want you to have your own checking account. Mm. And she said, why would I do that? (laughs) I I have some reasons. (laughs) (laughs) And so she said, he explained to her that it was important for her to have her own independence. And that was one of the things that she needed. And I'm like, I've never heard that before. I've never heard a man tell his wife before that you need to have your own checking account. That's usually a fight in and of itself mm. to, to get to make that happen. So things are changing. People are, despite what we see in the headlines, I think people are real at the grass level. They're real. And so it was so heartening to hear him, to hear her say that he told her that. And so she went out. She said, now I understand. Not to share my own cautionary tale, but I do feel like my entire life, I was so adamant about having my own money because I saw my own parents where my dad was off working. My mom was home. We, I'm the eldest of six. She was taking care of the kids. But when it came to money, he controlled it. He bought himself nice things. And 
that didn't always roll down to what was happening for the rest of the family. And so I was like, I will always have my own money. I will always be independent. That happened for a long time after I was married. It was still like I had my own money. I was doing my own job. We split bills depending on who was making more at the time. And we moved to London together. And all of a sudden, I wasn't working a normal, if you will, job anymore. And it became about, of course, it makes sense for us to combine funds. We're moving to London. We're starting this. And we'd been married several years and blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to a completely unexpected divorce. And there was me going, oh, so now I feel like you in your 40s going, I really need to learn more about financial planning because we as a couple weren't great about it. I had stopped contributing to my personal 401k because we were going to have his and all these things that the irony of me saying I would never do it. And then I did it. And the unthinkable, if you will, happened. So we can lull ourselves into a false sense of security very easily. Absolutely. Jeez. It's one of those things where we always think it'll never happen to me. It'll may happen to somebody else, Susie down the street or something, but it'll never happen to me. And so you're just, and everything is going fine and life is good and all of that. And on a dime, it can just turn on a dime. You're sitting at that table and going. That table that you think is just in the movies. And it really does look like that in real life. <laughs> it was the huge table. I'm sure it was that as big as it looked to be, but it was like this huge table. And there we are sitting there. And then I just explode in the middle of everything. <laughs> Which I love. I'm leaving and you will see me sometime. <laughs> So I, one of the things I love too on your website is this downloadable kind of all the questions you need to be thinking about. Because even though, like I said, I'm really trying to learn, maybe not to the point that I'm going to be a CFP, but I really now have the full appreciation of, yes, I'm going to financial planners, but they look at me still and kind of act like I don't know what I'm talking about. Even if I decide to have a financial planner, I want to know what I'm doing. So Absolutely. I love that form. Tell me about why you do that. Because like you said, you're giving away, you're telling people they don't need you. The whole idea is that I told you I really loved being a management consultant in business. And so what I've been able to do now is I have a practice that I call an advice-only kind of practice. It's a fee-only business. And so I don't get in commissions or I don't sell investments or insurance or any of those kinds of things. And people can just come to me and talk and get answers to their questions on an hourly basis. So many financial advisors are going to require that you have a certain amount of assets that they can manage for you or that you have a certain net worth and things like that. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's really necessary. You've got some questions. If you've got some issues, then you need to get answers to them. I always like to have everybody start with, with a financial plan if possible, because you need that roadmap. No mm -hmm. one would ever think about going on a vacation without a plan. You know, it's like you got to know where you're going. You got to know how much it's going to cost, where you're going to stay. You got to know all those kinds of things for a vacation. Why wouldn't you do that for your life? Just, hey, where am I at in my career now? Where do I want to be? When do I want to retire? What do I need to do in between? All those kinds of things. So I think that I encourage, although I don't require it, I encourage people to have that, to get that financial plan so that you have a place to go and then you can make decisions based upon your plan and your plan is going to change over time. And I don't do these book type plans where it pages and pages, very small plans so that you, because I believe that as you're going to evolve over time, and especially even over the next year, you're going to be evolving. So the plan needs to be flexible enough so that you can change it 
as your life changes or as your desires and wishes change. So I developed that because I do just ask me your questions. I'm happy to answer. And you only pay for the time that you need. Yeah. And I really did feel like for with the download, for example, that it made me start thinking, granted, I feel like a lot of financial planners have things like tell me about how much money you have and tell me about this. But it made me think about the future in a slightly different way. Because like you said, we're always adapting. And I can't tell you how many times it's been like, where do you see yourself in when you retire? There were some questions that felt a little more creative, if you will, that made me start thinking, oh, okay. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. And made me feel a bit more control in control of even how I was thinking about my financial future. Yeah, absolutely. It's the thing that happens is that time sneaks upon you pretty quickly. It was like, I'm still remembering sitting at that table like it was yesterday, but it was many years ago. And so it just, it just compresses. And I feel like as you get older, it gets even faster. I'm just pleased by because it's now what? Almost June. I know. How'd that happen? And it's, it was just January, just a couple of days ago kind of thing. So I really encourage people to start as early as possible because there's so many things in terms of really planning for your future, investing as early as possible. You don't have to invest as much money because of compounding. So the later you start, then the more money you have to save to get to the same place if you had started earlier. So there's lots of things that we just don't get. It's never, it's not taught in school. And so you don't get some of these concepts, which is why some people are able to just jump ahead so fast. You take somebody like Warren Buffett. Mm. And if you were to look at Warren Buffett, he's known for being a billionaire. Almost 90% of what he started investing when he was really young. I can't remember if he's nine or something like that. He started investing then. And most of his investments today, bulk of the money that he earns has been through compounding. In other words, he started so early. And it's had so much time to grow and roll over and roll over that it's just become this huge fortune. And so I encourage people to just, I have one piece of advice is start now. If you haven't started, start now because it makes such a big difference in, in what you'll have at the end. Is there any silver lining for people that haven't started? Because I think about, I don't know, I even think about my mom who's in her 70s, just retired and there's still things I think she needs to tweak about her long-term future. Her mother lived to 97, I think. And hopefully mm-hmm. my mom will live just as long. But her mother also ran out of money. So the thing that so many people forget is that even though you retire, you still need to grow your money because we live so much longer. So if she's got another 20 plus years to live, she needs to be putting aside a little something as much as she can into an investment now so that it can continue to grow and really throw off money for her for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. So it's you start where you're at is my whole thing. So just taking a look at the situation. And now that you've told me that, you know, you've got this longevity in your family, then that's something that would really concern me. And I'd have to take a look and see what she has coming in right now and to see if there's a way that some of that could be siphoned off a little bit to go into investments. For her future, like 10 years down the road, so that she still has some additional funds to live on after that. Yeah, because I think we don't take into consideration so much retirement planning and financial advice looks at, oh, the average age is 78 or whatever it is right now. You probably know better than I do. But it is actually, it's interesting. I looked at my shelf here and I have the 100-year life, which is about how statistically so many people are living to 100 and it will continue to get longer and longer. 
or mm-hmm. more and more people. So we need to be thinking a little bit broader um, when it comes yeah. to how long we might live. Yeah, we have to. I was looking at this. I see all these, all these questions come across my, my desk. And this, this man was, he was 65 and he wanted to retire and he had Social Security, which we have here. And he had $100,000 and he wanted to know, is that enough for me to retire? And it's, yeah, if you're only going to live like <laughs> a very short time because $100,000 is not what you think it is in real dollars kind of thing. $100,000, if you think about how much it costs you to live each year, most people, it's going to vary from person to person, but at least somewhere around $30,000 are going to have to have each year to, to just live on for your rent, your food, and things like that. If you have, do the math, $100,000 divided by 30000 Not very long. <laughs> it's not going to go very far. So you really have to really, and I think that some, sometimes we're not so used to hearing big numbers that we think that $100,000 is a huge amount of money. But if I could get $100,000, wow, I'd be sailing kind of thing. But it's in the past when people had pensions that they had to live on, as well as Social Security, as well as some of their savings, they could easily do that. So if you had an additional income stream, you could do that. So I encourage people also to think about, hey, business is my thing. I encourage people to have businesses. It doesn't have to be anything huge, just a little side hustle that you do that brings in some money on a regular basis. And that is a good, excellent way to have multiple income streams so that you have something else coming in to supplement Social Security and things like that in your retirement. It is interesting because I feel like young people have really grabbed onto side hustles, but it Mm -hmm. is something that is sort of trickling up because why not? (laughs) I mean, especially if you have retired. Why not find something that you're passionate about? Bring in a little something. There is a lot of opportunity to do something that maybe you're really passionate about. Half my second chapter, people. Absolutely. It is, I don't know, if I, one of the things that they call it going down the rabbit hole. They have all these videos that takes you from one video to the next one to the next one. And people doing all of these strange things. And so I'm watching them create these things and do these things. And I'm like, wow, that is a business in and of itself if they want to. If they want to take that to the next level or not just do videos about it and start teaching other people how to do it or selling the products that they make or any number of things that they could do. So it doesn't have to be something that's earth shattering. I remember, <laughs> and you may not be old enough for this, of the pet rocks that people used to paint. And they I remember paint. reading about them. I can't say okay. that I was of a <laughs> pet rock age, but. <laughs> <laughs> and she made a fortune off of these pet rocks. So it doesn't have to really be anything that, like I said, earth shattering. There's so many things that you can do today that people are just excited to get and pay for. So I often ask, especially women who have started businesses and what have you, but what kind of advice would you have for a woman who's thinking about changing her life and or career after 35? Obviously, for you, it's an even more, what would you tell us to do (laughs) if I want to change jobs, if I want to start my life afresh, what should I be doing? One thing that you should be doing is you should understand what your worth is and you should negotiate your salary. If someone, if you're going to a new job, then absolutely negotiate your salary. There's studies that show that when women graduate from college, uh, in many cases, they don't negotiate their salary and that's their first job. So why would I want to, why am I going to rock the boat here? I'm trying to get a job, but men do. And at the end of, at the end of the day, at the end of their career, by not negotiating that first job, 
they've left about a million dollars on the table. Then it's hard if you don't negotiate the first one. It's hard because you're always behind. Mm-hmm. So you never catch up. And so I always tell people, whenever you're changing jobs, that's the perfect opportunity. You may not get everything you want, but go in and ask for it. At least ask. And if they really want you for the job, then they'll negotiate with you or they'll say, this is our bottom, this is our bottom line kind of thing. And you can take it or leave it at that point. But you've got to learn, you've got to get in the habit of asking. If you are changing because of divorce or something like that, then you really need to understand that divorce is a business transaction. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. It's a business transaction, which means that emotion really doesn't have a place for it. And I've seen so many women get to the point of, well, I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be that woman. Oh, I was so ready to be that woman. Oh, at that point, I was like, whatever. (laughs) And so they, they give in and they give up so much stuff that should be theirs. And they don't really... They don't get creative with it. They'll say, we don't have a lot of assets or things like that. And in many cases here in the U.S., judges will not give alimony. If you're young enough to work and things like that, they will not give alimony. When I worked with clients going through divorce, I encouraged them to look creatively at things. I had one client who was, she wanted to be, she wanted to have her own business. And he was just ready to leave the marriage. He was ready to get married. He found him another friend. And mm-hmm. wanted to get married. And she encouraged him to, number one, help her finish her school, help her get started in her business, and then she'd walk away kind of thing. And he thought that was a good thing so that he wouldn't have to cut the ties after that. So it's looking at, it's not necessarily being, I have to have alimony, I have to have this. It's really what's going to make you whole enough for your new life. And you have to think about, you need to be, he's going to be whole. Uh, studies show that after divorce, men's income goes up, women's income goes down, and you need to get an equitable divorce, not necessarily your fair share, but equitable, meaning that you are in an equal kind of position, um, at least at that point. I always ask people to bring a quote, and your quote is on your website. I love it so much. Would you please share it with everyone? It's, if you don't mind your money, someone else will. And then they will control your future. And I wrote that as part of, as part of my book, <laughs> the Mind of Your Money book. And it was something that was so true at that point. And I understood it. And it's still true today. You really do need to take care of your money because if you don't, then somebody is going to take care of it for you. You may not like the outcome that you get. And I love that as a financial planner, you're still saying that because you're saying, the way that I want to work is having people that know what they're doing with their money, even if they're working with me, which I think is so refreshing because the, oh, don't you wear your pretty little head about it, especially for women with our pretty little heads, um, has has been prevalent for too long. And it's still going on today, which is so sad. It's so sad. And we as women think it's so complicated. Yes, I have to have somebody else do this for me because it's just too complicated. And I have people with PhDs, and I'm just like, do this. this. It just takes you, you know, and I'm happy to do that for clients. But I want them to at least understand what's going on so that they're not in the dark about their finances. 
And do you have anything else that you would want to say to listeners? I have a free gift that they can go to my website and they can get the free gift if they're on my mailing list. Every once in a while, I put my books up for free. So you can download them on Amazon for free every once in a while. So if they're on my mailing list, they'll be able to do that. The free gift that I have is five money habits that highly successful people use that you can use too, even if you suck at math. So it's really just, it's really just getting you used to the whole idea of what do I need to know about my money? Just some basic kinds of things. That's it. Just understand that minding your money is not rocket science. And it's one of the most important things you can do for yourself today. Absolutely. And that wanting to have a decent future for yourself is not selfish. I do feel like that's the one other thing is it's you deserve to be able to live, you know, in comfort and not worry about your money every single day of your life. Absolutely. It's worth it to understand. And a lot of people really back away from that because they think it's going to be too expensive or it's something that, that I don't need because I don't have a lot of money. And I always tell people, the less money you have, the more you need financial planning because you need to be able to make your money go as far as it possibly can. And we know things that can really help you to make that happen. I'm not glad of the circumstances of why it happened, <laughs> but I'm glad that you now are here knowing what you're talking about and sharing your story with us because I do think that it's so important, especially for women, to hear that story. So thank you so much, Patricia, for joining me. And it's been lovely chatting with you. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like a free download of Patricia's book, I'm including a link in the show notes. Or better yet, why not sign up for her newsletter and get lots of money-wise tips and strategies straight to your inbox? You can do so at psworth.com. I'll also put that in the show notes. And maybe sign up for the Second Chapter newsletter too while you're at it at thesecondchapterpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for the Second Chapter newsletter. The Second Chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at thesecondchapterpodcast.com and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.